Hello and welcome back to You Matter. This is session 10. session 10 today, I will be having a conversation with physiotherapist and business owner Katie Napton. Way back in 2016, before any of most of us had thought about doing video consultations, Katie set up PhysioFast Online, which is a platform to deliver good quality care and advice to patients via video consultation. Now, you'll hear through the course of this discussion that it's not the video consultation, which is Katie's thing. Katie's thing is making sure that patients have quick and easy access to good quality advice and care. She wants to she wants patients to be excited about seeing physio, knowing that they will uh reduce be able to reduce their worry they'll get education about healing they'll get good advice about exercise they'll be able to get active again if that's appropriate she wants to make sure that people don't get lost in the system and what I love about Katie is she's she's kind of an advocate for the underdog the patient that potentially isn't getting the advice they need is getting stuck in a system and um, yeah just not getting access to the help they deserve so Katie and I talk about uh, the history of setting up PhysioFast Online, and we also ref- reflect on our quite lengthy careers in physio now and the things that we've seen change, things perhaps we'd have liked to see, see change more quickly or differently, and also the things that we think are really positive in the profession today. So I, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. As ever, I'd love to hear your feedback, but for now, make yourself a cup of tea or whatever. Sit back, enjoy the conversation and I will be back at the end. Hello and welcome to the latest session of You Matter podcast and I'm here today with Katie Napton who is one of those people that I met quite early on in the pandemic online, has become a great friend and someone I very much look forward to meeting in person very soon. So Katie is an MSK physiotherapist, very well respected physiotherapist and In recent years, she has moved, uh, she still runs her own clinic, I believe. I'm going to get her to tell you more about it in a minute. But she has also developed PhysioFast Online, which is a platform for delivering MSK services. Um, And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about how she came to get that idea and, and what built up to it and how it's going. So over to you, Katie. Thanks very much, Joe. Um, I feel it's rather generous to say I'm very well respected. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yes, I've I've been qualified um, rather a long time, too too long really, since '91, and have followed a fairly typical journey of the sort of '90s in terms of uh, basic grade and rotations and all that, so, mm. which has all moved on a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and um, and then ended up specialising in MSK. Um, worked a bit in Australia and then did a fairly classic senior role and ended up at an ESP role in um, St George's, which I loved, and then moved out of London, which is when I established my own private practice, which was now back in 2003. Um, and then in 2016, I think it was, I had a sort of frustration moment. I might have well have been an age thing, um, but we won't sort of discuss that too much. And I just felt that patients... Where do they go for, for good advice and information? 
And I think I'd had a couple of runs of patients who hadn't been dealt with very well. So I had a ruptured Achilles that hadn't been diagnosed. So by the time we got him, it was lengthened and it was too late really for anything. And no one was interested in doing any surgical management. And and that really upset me because he was what he'd done was he'd split up from a long term relationship. He'd got all his tennis gear and gone up to the tennis club to try and reinvent himself. And that first, within that first five minutes, unfortunately, he'd ruptured his Achilles. Oh Obviously, yeah, he'd overloaded. But, you know, this chap was in bits uh, emotionally and in all sorts of ways and physically by the end of it. So we got him back to a reasonable, but he was never going to manage to hit the um, tennis courts because he was 65 and it was a little bit tricky. But so I just sort of wondered, well, where do people go? Where do they get the right advice? And if you're not always getting the right advice from your GP, or, you know, minor injuries, you know, what what do you do? So this, we've got to bear in mind, this was pre-COVID. And I thought, well, actually, you know, a video conversation with a physio would be really useful if that physio had some knowledge, was up to date and used, you know, the best evidence and best practice. And um, so that's where I sort of got it um, Mm. from. So that's my idea. And then I, uh, what did I do? I think I just went... I happened to have a patient who talked about investing. And um, so I put a sort of investment pack together and did a presentation and a little bit of a dragon's den moment. And I mm-hmm. got some investing. And, and that's how we set up PhysioFast Online. And, and that's what it's been. And the aim is really just to supply, fly easy access, quality physiotherapy information and advice. And, and at, at no time have I ever tried to replace physical physiotherapy. And I don't really dig that debate very much but we do know that we can help a lot of people without any manual treatment and and that is the idea mm. or we can guide people to the right treatment and that's really so my my passion is that people get quality stuff yeah 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 so yeah uh, you said 2018 didn't you when you know, 16. Finished, 16 sorry so yeah well pre-pandemic and you know there's been so much talk about online delivery since the pandemic but you were I don't know do you feel like you were ahead of the game or was it just that I mean why did you take it online then what what did you perceive were the reasons that online at that time could do better than the current systems of GP referral face-to-face physio I suppose mainly within it's the wait times and right. and the difficulty, you know, people, if they're going to a clinic, they have to take time off. And if they just need some advice then and there, why not make that easy and available to them? Mm. And I just, it just seems a sensible thing. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not the first physio to do that. I mean, there's been physios doing it for, for ages. So, but it was perhaps the, the first to think of running a a clinic specifically just for online care yeah um so yeah so it's not particularly novel but um yeah it's just it seemed obvious to me yeah well, I mean you say it's not novel but we're all so familiar with zoom and and this kind of delivery now but did you have to kind of check out the platforms and were you the first person that you need to be using them did you hit any resistance um yeah so it was quite a learning curve um and as you say in that time we did start off with zoom but because Zoom required a download, uh, we found that was a barrier. Mm. So any barrier to someone actually having a successful appointment is a bad thing. So we quickly went onto a web browser-based um, video 
consultation okay. software, which of which there's a number. I mean, now probably if we use Zoom, it wouldn't be such a problem because lots of people have already got it downloaded on their um, mm. computers. But yeah, so I did sort of work out that anything that created a barrier would would you know prevent a, a successful process. Yeah, sorry, it's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, and do you feel now that has the pandemic helped PFO to grow? Is it um, has that exposure been helpful, or is it not quite in line with why PFO was started? Is it helpful or a hindrance? No, I can't decide. So we had, you know, initially sort of the investors were very gung ho, and we were, you know, ahead of the game. But were we too early? Because all we got on board was your sort of early adopters, and mm. you know, and the people who got it. Yeah. But you still couldn't sell it to the people who didn't get it. And I'm thinking now. I mean, yes, we've had a, you know, certainly a, a bit of a surge in, in demand, but everybody's doing it. Yeah. And. And you sort of think, well, is is that a good or a bad or indifference? And I, I don't really know. So I think it should be good because it makes it an established way of practicing. Mm. And and I know that not everybody wants to do it, which is also fine. And not everybody's good at it. So, you know, so those that recognize that perhaps it's not to their thing, then that's absolutely fine because look, there's always going to be plenty of patients who are going to go into clinics. So, it's, you know, yeah. we're never going to change that. And that's all, all good. We all need to, you know, earn money. So um, I think overall it's probably positive until we start having the arguments and the debates and the issues like the GPs are having at the moment, which is causing a lot of problems. Mm. And I think what we need to talk about really is quality. So it's not how anything's delivered. Mm. It's the quality and the value what does that patient get out of it? And in your experience of delivering online, what are the things that make the difference um, from a good quality video consultation to a poor quality one? You ask the patient what they want. <laughs> it's a basic thing, isn't it? So yeah. what do you want? You know, hi, you've booked a video consultation today. What are you hoping? Mm-hmm. No different to face-to-face. Really shouldn't be. And there's no reason why it should be. And, and you know, when you get to the end of that consultation, you know, have you got everything that you want? And that you send them the information that you promised them with the advice. And and if that, you know, I have somebody really pernickety about, you know, well, what should I be doing week one? That's fine. I can tell them that. But and if they're happy because they've got that information, then that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, I mean, this isn't the first conversation we've had about this, Katie. And, and I know the driving um force behind anything you've told me about has always been this thing of quality care and it sounds as if for you it's it's that it's that early stage stuff making sure that someone gets on the right track from the word go um and I can really see how video does uh, work really well at that point I mean definitely further on as well for the right patient and with the right condition <clears throat> but would you agree it's getting in there the, for you the quality is getting in there quickly with that good advice and early resources yeah I mean I think you know that's when it works well so as I said so that you know there's um a lady that had seen the GP been to the hospital or whatever but you know when I saw her on video 
she lifted her hands up. She had dactylitis, you know, so mm. why wasn't she under rheumatology? So someone we could guide. So, yeah, if we can get to people, have that conversation, get them to show us things, talk about, you know, lifestyle changes. You know, we, I've got, you know, advised patients onto HRT, stress fractures. I mean, you name it. A lot of it has not been sort of lots of ongoing physio, mm. but we've helped give them the information that they need to then go and take the right steps for them. So it's not. I mean, I, it's sort of, I sort of now think, am I really an MSK physio? Because I'm quite generalist. So I know mm. I can cover lots of aspects of women's health. So, you know, I can have some conversations. I'm happy then to refer them to an expert. Don't get me wrong. I have limitations. But I can have all those conversations because I've got enough information yeah. to have those conversations. And I'm comfortable to have confidence conversations about all sorts of things yeah and what I love about you Katie is something that I know in in our previous conversations we've ended up terming um, health advocacy and what I love is that you almost seem willing to take on this um, advocate role for for a patient and exactly what you've just said you know if it if it's not a sort of cut and dry straightforward MSK case where you know, I don't know, most people probably know how to manage a sprained ankle reasonably well these days and know the path they should be following. Not always, obviously, but you seem to be a real champion for the person who may not have realised that the, um, uh, you know, the, the menopause issues were contributing to their back pain or who they should go and talk to for that. Um, and I, I feel that really strongly with you, that that advocate role. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose I've never really seen it like that. But <laughs> Not till I, I told you you're an advocate. <laughs> I am an advocate. So I'm, I'm, I am incredibly nosy and I suppose I am quite quite passionate about people not being hard done by. Yeah. Um, I do worry about, yeah, I always sort of worry about these patients that get lost in the system and I always feel there should be someone championing these patients and helping guiding them through because it's a scary place out there if you're not really strong Mm. um you know you can get lost in the system when the system works it can be fabulous but you know there's a lot of people not getting the attention or the quite the right assessment that they need so yeah I suppose I yeah I am a bit loud and do you think so obviously, you know, when you're working individually with a patient, you can perform that assessment and have those conversations about the contributing um, elements that are, are going on for that patient. Do you think, um, how do you think we improve health advocacy in a more general way? Should we be looking at um, more online education for patients? Or um, I don't know, where, where do you see that we could get good bang for our buck in terms of reaching a lot of people yeah I think it's incredibly tricky isn't it so I mean, you mm. just have to look at the number of health apps that they're out there mm. and how confusing is that mm. because there's loads mm. <laughs> so I don't know where quite where to sit it I mean I think it should be sat within the you know your your local communities perhaps so your social prescribing although I'm never quite sure how to access that in my locality so I don't know yeah. if you know about yours but all of that sounds great but we still need to just, I guess it's just keep on working on it. And I guess it's, 
I can only change it in my small way. So I think that every patient I see, we try and have a more general conversation. And then from that, hopefully they will then feed to their friends. So mm-hmm. if every physio was doing that with every interaction they have, then we're already getting known for the fact, oh, actually the physio told me about that. That's yeah. really good. And I think that's that's the starting point because you've got, you know, we've got all our health guidelines, haven't we? We've got our 150 minutes a week or whatever. Mm. But we still struggle. So it's again, if you can give that patient that information that's relevant to them and they can understand it and educate them and then they try and get them to spread the word. I think that's the way to do it, because if it's always top down, it's very often for people. You're talking more about health promotion, aren't you, really, rather than um, treatment. So that early intervention side of things. Yeah, Well, prevention is the way to go, isn't it? So if you can stop people you know I, I yes I know that it's gone down on the scale of the sort of who problems but you know our inactivity is a huge mm-hmm. issue and we you know everyone's talking about they're seeing more frozen shoulders well you know you know is it because of COVID well I, I question whether actually it's just due to the fact that people are not being as active as they used to because they're not mm-hmm. commuting they're not doing this they're not doing that I don't know but, it was um I can't remember I sort of feeling it might have even been in frontline somebody listening will will remember I'm sure but I do remember reading an article a few years ago um where someone was putting forward a role where somebody in each town um was looking at the facilities that were available to exercise and and even going um as far as you know working with planners particularly if there was new builds going on and there was funding for public services and things like that just to check that that as far as possible there were facilities for people to exercise in some way shape or form in yeah. as many communities as possible yeah I don't know I mean that that'd be great but looking around where I live um, I can tell you that the new estates that they put in are not designed for people to walk they don't have community shops they they have as much driveway and parking facilities mm. as possible mm. <laughs> and access to a main road. Um, so it's, yeah, it sounds like a great role. It's something that should be doing, but I don't think we do think about it enough because people, we're still like the convenience of you get in the car to go to the shop. Mm. Um, it's, uh, I still think, well, yeah, we're not, we're not doing it quite right yet, but I'm sure there are probably roles. I don't know how successful they've been, but that'd be interesting to more about yeah and then you don't know do you whether I mean I live in an area where there are ample facilities for exercising does that mean everybody exercises um you know adequately but do, do we not? need a gym no we just need walkways yeah. yeah we don't I mean that's the other thing let's not push people into gyms who don't want to go to gyms mm. they don't need to go to gyms to do exercise no exactly so what do you think you've mentioned your Achilles guy and your um lady with the dactylitis are there any um, areas that you repeatedly see uh, what you would describe as poor care? You know, are there any, for, for physiotherapists particularly, do you think there are any areas where we really could be of use in that early intervention, prevention, education role more than others? I think it's just informing people about natural healing. Right. I don't like to do us out of a job, but the body is amazing <laughs> and actually is designed to heal despite who you go and see or what they try and do to you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's reassuring people. So it's, you know, it's like your rotator cuffs. They are going to take a good three months to get better, you know, what despite what you throw at them. And I think it's just having 
that backup knowledge that that's okay and it's okay to tell the patient this is going to take a while it will go up and down a bit the recovery journey is never that lovely straight line Mm. it always is a bit of a bumpy route and it's teaching them how to deal with it isn't it and how to manage it yeah it's how that message lands isn't it so I think we can improve on that just you know getting people to be a little bit more patient and and really informing them about healing and Mm. time factors yeah and sitting with the discomfort of their their comeback on that sometimes because it's sometimes you deliver that message don't you and then it's sort of half taken on but then it comes back yeah but what are you going to do about it now and and the temptation then to bring the fix in you know it's there, there's sometimes an uncomfortable period of time isn't there where you you yourself have to be quite strong with that message and sit with it perhaps a little bit longer than is comfortable for either you or the patient yeah no and I think um you know and it's not you know not being totally against using some things that might give them some temporary relief you know, if they want to use heat, they want to use cold, they want to take some painkillers for short term or use some gel, not a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm not worried about any of that and, and support them to do that. But just say, well, that's fine. This is the healing process. And then we need to get you back and get you weight bearing. But just trying to reduce that chronicity and that worry that people have because, you know, I shouldn't be going into any pain. It's like, you know, the classic sort of tendinopathies, isn't it? Mm. You know, we do need to sort of just nudge a little along to to progress. Um, But it's having the confidence and the conversations, isn't it? And, and yeah, as you say, it's not going to work with everybody. And and there's always going to be people as, you know, certainly if you work in the persistent pain world, that uh, there's always going to be people still searching for a quick fix or Mm. this is what I want. But in acute injuries, we really should be able to work that message quite well. Yeah. And people that aren't watching this on video, <laughs> I can tell you, Katie and I are a similar vintage in physio. <laughs> Wise women of physio, I think we'll call it, Katie. Um, but yeah, we probably started out about the same time. Gosh, if you were an ESP in St George's, then a huge respect for you in, in that era. <laughs> that must have not been the easiest position in the early days of the ESP rules. But I don't know about you, Katie, but I remember uh, as a young sort of keen physio wanting to change the world, there were certain things that frustrated me 20, 25 years ago. Um, I actually wrote a master's um, dissertation on um, whether we should be looking at pain mechanisms rather than um, tissue injuries. And I, I felt at that time that you just mentioned pain that great things were changing I was really at this pivotal point in pain management and we were going to ditch all the um, you know tissue related uh, injury focused care and we were going to go towards um, understanding physiology and pain mechanisms and I was going to be part of that and I'm making building this up to sound like a really depressing story <laughs> but it I mean that particularly for me it has been exciting and I'm glad to see things being accepted, but that's felt like a really blimmin' slow journey through my career. Um, and I know you're involved in pain now. Are there, are there things you know, through the sort of 20, 25 year history of our careers, what changes would you have liked to see maybe go faster or what changes have happened that you have been really pleased about? What are your reflections? Ooh, I suppose, yeah, that, that is, that's quite a big question. Yeah. So it's from the pain side, I, I found it fascinating to watch. And I, and I suppose slightly frustrating in that you, you're either one camp or the other. Yeah. 
And I don't think that's right, no. you know, because we know we can have a specific tissue injury. Yeah? yeah. So you have your, you know, and then yes, your beliefs and everything will influence how that pain affects you. I get that. And 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 there's obviously the bigger picture with, you know, and all the fascinating stuff that's still coming out and, you know, Mick Sacker's stuff that I always try and check, I try and understand. So mm-hmm. there's some, you know, there's some great stuff out there. And I think that is exciting. But I think we do need to I suppose this is for an example is a student physio I was talking to who'd suffered with a persistent pain herself and then was very interested in the persistent pain side of things, which is great. But I did sort of point out to her that she does need to keep an eye, that she doesn't therefore miss any sort of rheumatological mm. presentations that potentially could have had pain for a long time because it hasn't been diagnosed or picked up properly. So I just, yeah, I'm always wary. So I think it's great that's moving forward and let's hope it all moves. But I think it should move forward together. Mm. I don't think we should separate it out. As- no, you're right. Actually, I was talking to a student chiropractor a few weeks ago and... and um she presented almost exactly the problem you've just described. She didn't use these words. This is a bit of a disservice to her, but it, it was to paraphrase. Basically, um, I'm being taught this stuff at college and I know I've got it uh, encompass other ways of behaving. Um, some of my lecturers are this camp, some of this camp, and I've got to work out where I sit. And that's quite hard at student level, isn't it? To well, feel like yeah. you're being I mean, taught I... two different paradigms. Yeah, we just wrote learned whatever we were taught yes <laughs> and then which unlearned it for the next 20 years yeah. <laughs> which wasn't a lot so I think the pain thing's um good I worry what I am I mean I'm pleased about the FCP roles sort of but I worry are we losing that skill that support that rehab that physio mm-hmm. really needs you know are we driving these really potentially fantastic physios straight into an FCP role and they're not actually nurturing our patients. To me, it's a bit like being a sort of, you know, a locum teacher. Are you actually, you know, understanding what's happening to your patients? You mm. know, I, I don't know. So it's an interesting one. I think it's incredibly exciting. And I, it's a role I would have jumped on if I was sort of 15 years younger. But mm. um, I, I'm just hoping we're not losing some of the stuff that we need to do, what that our patients really need. Yeah, I mean, that rehab is where our profession started, isn't it? And that's where that that stuff, that whole patient care comes in. It doesn't come in in the assessment and the diagnosis. Um, well, it does, but because oh, that will influence yeah. what's but going it's on. that continuity of care that I worry that we might be losing a little. And, you know, and you can tell me as many feedback forms or whatever that the patient said. But, you know, as a private practitioner, you probably found the same. You're, you know, I'm picking up a lot of patients who have been to an FCP and mm-hmm. are not you know, are needing extra care beyond what the FCP saw, which isn't surprising because you're under pressure in a 20-minute appointment. So it's interesting. So I will be interested to see where that goes. But I'd like us to really promote our, you know, the support that we can do, the, you know, following a patient through and really, and and caring at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, Mm -hmm. which is presumably why most of us went into it. (laughs) We'd hope so. (laughs) So do you have any idea um, where this might go for you? Um, I mean, you're doing really exciting things with boots. Um, I know you've um, been doing, you've been exploring new ways of promoting um, Physio Fast Online. Where where do you see yourself going next with this or it taking you? I don't know, really. I suppose I'm supposed to have an answer to that, which I haven't. <laughs> um, moving forward. 
I mean, I presume I will probably carry on keeping an eye on what's going on online, but I would hope to be able to promote more health promotion. I could see, I don't know, depends what word at some point. Um, I mean, I'm doing a few lecturing positions with, uh, you know, a few different physio schools. And, you know, I want people to be excited about physio. Mm. I want patients recognising that physio really can make a difference. And it's not oh, just sent to the physio. Actually, it's a really positive thing. And I want every patient to go away thinking, yeah, OK, they mm. couldn't help me, but they've told me what I can do and who I should see. You know, so if you can't help them, you still guided them. And that that's my thing is that I yeah. want every. So it's that, you know, every contact counts, all of that, you know, get it right first time, all of that sort of mm. stuff mm. the NHS has used. But I really feel passionately that that's what we need. So I don't know where it will take me. Um, it's certainly taken me on a bit of, bit of a journey in that I'm far more knowledgeable now in women's health and mm. done a random video on boots for about incontinence and trying to promote exercise for that. Um, I'm What else am I doing? So I've just started a um, pain management sort of training module with Pete um, Moore with of pain toolkit fame um which we were planned to do in the uk australia and canada so there's lots of sort of things that have arisen from it that again are trying to promote and help and support patients so i like to think of myself as, as trying to help patients um and that is my primary role mm, well doing it very well and i'm sure it'll take you to interesting places actually just tell us a bit more about that course with pete more if people are interested how do they find out about that yeah, so that is a uh, five-day, each session is two and a half hours, workshop, which is coaching predominantly at the moment. It's going to be for patients suffering with persistent pain. And the idea is that we really set them some goals and action plans, and we get them to set their action plans and goals, hmm. so that rather than going away and thinking that was interesting, oh, yeah, I know about pacing now, we really test them and get them to understand what pacing means to you. And mm. um, we will plan is to roll it out so that we can train people up to do the coaching as well. Um, so it's sort of got a bigger picture, mm. but it's it set up with Pete and um, Keith Meldrum and um, Mary Wing. So, you know, it's a, it's a patient collaboration. And um, I think it'd be really exciting. And the idea is that it's sort of followed through with a private Facebook group so that everyone will be supported. So there'll be that ongoing thing rather than uh, you've done it now, off you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see where it goes. Um, Sounds great. University and, yeah, I'm hoping to, to move it. And where will you be advertising that if people are looking? So, oh, and, uh, Pete's be advertising it all over That's the place. down to Pete. <laughs> LinkedIn yeah, if I know Pete. He's far hotter on those sort of things than me. So he'll be putting it out on LinkedIn and um, Twitter, I assume. But so yes, yeah, so did you say it was called? Apologies if you said it. Oh, well, it's going to be called Pain Toolkit Plus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows that's Pete, the Pain Toolkit stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think he's done such great work with it. It seemed a shame not to, to mm. use that. And mm. um, yeah, no, so I think it would be really exciting. Right. And, and that's just a bit of a change of scene for me. So it's good. Yeah, yeah, exciting. One last area I wanted to um, chat about with you, Katie, is something I've been thoughtful about. The number of times I see the phrase, patients don't really don't know what we do. Um, and it's a fair call, but I'm almost at the point now where I've heard it so many times. And I think, well, what, whose fault is that and what are we can do about it? Um, and it, it, I think it ties in with your health advocacy thoughts because 
you know, if they don't know that what to access a physio for or what a physio can support them with, then yeah, we we are, I, I don't know, do you think that conversation is related to our sense of being undervalued or that we can't provide what we want to provide for the patient or we're being underused? What do you think's behind it? I, I think it's very difficult and I think it depends obviously in what sector you're working in because the NHS is, you know, horribly pushed and by the time patients get to see physios there, it's, you know, they, they can't deal with the whole bigger picture. In yeah. private practice, I think we have a slightly more, you know, it's a bit more relaxed and we potentially have more opportunity to to have the conversations that you might not manage otherwise. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's... I don't think we can keep on beating that drum and moan. I think mm. we just need to check that we are providing the best, that we're checking as a profession that we are, we know we're providing the best information. And, you know, and there's a lot of sort of infighting and bickering and, mm. and rubbish. And I'm not really interested in that. It doesn't um, excite me in any shape, or form. I've, I've never been into that. I think what we need to think about is what, what do the patients need from us? And are yeah. we giving them what they need? And if we're doing that, then that should filter out nicely. Yeah, I suppose that goes right back to you, my question that I asked you about the video consultations and you, you know, very um, correctly answered that the, the most important thing is to ask the patient what they want. You know, if we're struggling with our identity and what we what we are, which sometimes I think is the reason that question keeps coming up. Patients don't know what we do because we don't always know what we do. But you can take it right back to that same point. If we if we go back to what in 2021 do patients need from physiotherapists and we get clear on that, and as you say, we make sure we're providing that in the best quality way, that is what physiotherapists do. And then that's what we talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, yeah, I, what we are is we're to promote people having a good quality of life or as good as they are able within their physicality or whatever. So I don't care what people, you know, whether you do it by a video consultation, you do it by a face-to-face, it doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. that you are enhancing that patient's life Mm -hmm. and that you are making that difference and you are helping them set their own goals and that they have things to do. And it's not you setting them they're setting them so that Mm. patient should be in control of their the dreaded journey but that's what you know the patient should be in control of it you shouldn't be dictating well I'm a physician this is what I'm going to do and I know that sometimes it's some patients want whatever because this has helped me in the past well actually okay Mm. we'll we'll do a little bit of soft tissue work but actually if we then add this in you know this is so easy to I don't understand why it's so complicated Mm. Mm. we do like to make things very complicated quite simple so I don't really (laughs) get it I think you know so okay they want a bit of soft tissue absolutely fine we know the power of touch is great I mean I know perhaps I shouldn't be selling that because I'm obviously trying to do more video stuff but you know there is an element that it is useful and if it's useful buy-in then use that buy-in but then check you go on to promote what you know will be the right thing for that patient Mm. and then you you know you've not lost anything no a couple of a couple of years ago pre-pandemic I was um, at a really interesting day event where I was the only physio and um, seven or eight other people there were medics and um, we were asked very different for you know uh, medical um, sort of CPD stuff we were asked to um, we were taken into this kind of relaxation process and then asked to really allow ourselves to think way into the future and 
just write down what came to us about what we saw for you know many many years into the future and what healthcare looked like and every single one of us the the one thing that we all had in common is every single one of us said there are no doctors physios health professionals um we all had some version of there is a world where people are educated appropriately at each stage of their life so it's almost like you've got you know five different um periods of education where people have a baseline level of knowledge about how to look after themselves and if they don't they also have tiered access throughout communities of who to go to for support and then ultimately there are these i don't know wise people in in certain fields where you know if you really need them if you've if you've exhausted your own resources and those of the community around you then there, there is this next level and every single one of us as health professionals had some version of of that um vision which is fascinating yeah i like that yeah because i mean that's all we are we should be part of a support network to get mm. people living their lives to the full and that that's all it is it doesn't matter whether it's physios chiros osteos it doesn't matter but we should all be sort of you know taking that forwards mm. it'd be really interesting when I mean, you describe I, and I hear a lot of physios describing themselves as generalists and it will be interesting in the more immediate future to see whether there is merging of physio osteo chiro and some elements of nursing and medicine you know maybe that's why we struggle with the definition because we're all kind of merging yeah yeah um, and I think that potentially that's exciting. I think it's great to have those conversations and open that mm. out. So some of the MSKR stuff that's moving that forwards and opening us all out to each other, I think it's really great. Mm. Mm. Oh, thank you, Katie. It's been really interesting. And, and I'm sure people listening will have um, wanted to get in touch with you on various different levels. I mean, some people might be specifically interested in the PhysioFast um, video consultation stuff. Some people may have been really um, clued into the, or interested in the health advocacy conversation. And, and there's that great course you're going to do with Pete or series of courses. So is there one way that's best for people to get in touch with you with for all of those things or different methods for different parts of your varied working life? What's best for people? Um, so, well, either Katie Napton on LinkedIn, I guess, or at Physio Katie K or at Physio Fast on Twitter. Any of those will work and, and then we can take it from there. Yeah, I would encourage people to do that. Katie is a very experienced lady and as you've heard, got... Fingers in lots of very interesting pies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we'll work on that accepting compliments. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Katie. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being a guest on this episode. It's been nothing but pleasure, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it there, shall we? <laughs> Thank you, Katie. <laughs> If you enjoyed session 10 i know katie enjoyed being a guest despite that teensy weensy bit of sarcasm at the end <laughs> joking aside what a great guest katie is i'm full of admiration for the way she is still at the forefront of what's going on in our profession and in fact spearheading many of the changes which we're undergoing at this time um, do check out some of the links that Katie referred to, uh, get in touch with her, support the things she's working towards, because as she said on the on the um, 
podcast she is always the person advocating for the patient she just wants to make sure patients get the best care possible which no one can argue with so do go and check out her her platforms if you would like to find out a little bit more about me hub um there sorry me hub <laughs> don't even know the name of my own company me hub is actually the community which you can find out about on me hub the website uh, but me hub is also a place you can find previous episodes of you matter information about coaching if that's something you're interested in courses and um access to as I say the me hub community that's somewhere where I post articles blogs hold conversations about things that I'm interested in at the moment and I encourage other people to raise questions and uh, express opinions about all things related to clinician well-being so not directly clinical conversations more things about you the, the clinician so as ever, take care of yourselves. It's a busy, busy period of the year, uh, or it can be content if you allow yourself to get drawn into all the December madness. I expect more than ever, you are running around being a lot of things for a lot of people. So if you get the chance, or make sure you get the chance to stop and breathe and rest because you matter. Mm-hmm.